are in a series right now that we're just calling Botched. And if you've been with us these last two weeks, then, then you know that as a church family, we are working on this very important question together. And that question is this, is failure fatal? Is failure fatal? And I can tell you that it is not uncommon for a Christian to wrestle with this concept of failure and its implications. Uh, can I mess up so bad? Can, or was my sin so severe that I've completely botched my faith? If you've ever asked a question like that as a believer, I promise you, you would not be the first. Or to ask questions like, am I still saved? Does God still love me? Can I be of any use to the Lord ever again? These are questions that, that can plague a Christian in their walk with the Lord. And so we're, we're tackling this question together. I believe that God wants us to wrestle this down, get some resolve on it, and really, quite honestly, help free some of you from this question and from, from, from what is weighing you down. Now, so far in the series, we've looked at two great men in the Bible who, who botched big time during their lives. We, we were the very first week in this series, we talked about David, who had an affair with a married woman, and a pregnancy resulted from that, and then he tried to cover it up, and somebody even lost their life. It's a very notorious example in the Bible. And we looked at Elijah last week, how he lost his courage and he took his eye off the ball and he ran away in fear instead of trusting the Lord. Here's my hope, that if we were to shut this series down today and all we did was look at these two examples of failure and restoration, uh, my hope and prayer would be that that would be enough, that that would be enough to give us this renewed outlook on our walk with Jesus, that that would be enough to prove to each of us failure doesn't have to be fatal. We saw how David owned his sin. He said, I've sinned against the Lord, and there were consequences, of course, but the Lord forgave him, and he went on to serve the Lord. And then there was Elijah. He needed some time to refresh and refocus, and he got his head back in the game. And once he did, he went on to serve the Lord the rest of his life. And I pray that this series has the same kind of effect on our church family that I'm gonna serve the Lord the rest of my life. I've been, I have this renewed outlook on what can happen in my life and my walk with the Lord. So if you've been wrestling with feelings or thoughts of self-worth because you've either done something long ago or something that's happening right now and you're saying, I don't know if the Lord can ever use me again, I hope that this brief examination has lifted your vision of what the Lord can do in your life, about what is possible. If you've been down Okay, just down. I hope these examples have lifted you up. If you've been content with this attitude of, it is what it is, I am who I am. Or even if you've gone so far to label yourself as, I'm just damaged goods. I hope and pray that this series helps you drop that label and to understand that that's not how God sees you. Yeah, you're seeing yourself is not exactly the same way God sees you. And I hope I can bring you and God closer together in your understanding of, of how God sees you and what God wants from you out of your life. So I hope these stories of failure and redemption energize your faith, that they fan the flame, that some of you are wondering if it's gone out. I promise you it's not gone out, but to fan that flame and get it going once again and to have this attitude, God is not done with me and I am not done with God. I'm down, but I'm not gonna stay down. And if there's sin in your life that you need to repent of, then let's repent of that sin. Let's deal with this sin today. And let's seek forgiveness, and let's get back on our feet and follow the Lord. No, no way does a botch keep you down forever. Today we're gonna look at another example, and uh, this is an example that 
um, probably is not, well, I know for a fact, it's not nearly as notorious as David. And it's probably not even as well known as Elijah's story from last week. In fact, I'm going to go out here on a limb and say, this is going to feel like brand new information for many of you here today. You're going to go, I did not realize that was in the Bible. Or it might be, you know, I read that a long time ago, or I heard something about that. But I, I feel in my gut that what we're going to talk about today is going to feel like a brand new story in the Bible that many of you have not come across before. So I'd like for you to go and turn to the New Testament book of Acts, okay? The New Testament book of Acts, fifth book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And if you could be making your way over there, that would be great because I'm going to introduce you to a guy in the book of Acts, um, a Christian man by the name of John, and he also goes by the name Mark. And so for the sake of clarity, I'm going to refer to him just like the Bible does for clarity's sake, and they're going to call him John Mark, okay? Didn't you like it when people clarify who they are? It's not John. Sometimes it's Mark. We'll just call him John Mark. That's who we're talking about today. And we meet John Mark at the end of Acts chapter 12. Paul and Barnabas are in Jerusalem and they meet John Mark and then they invite him to go back to the city of Antioch with them. So you find Acts chapter 12, verse 25, it just says this. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John also called Mark. So John Mark lived in Jerusalem. That's his hometown. His family were, were involved in the church there. And obviously Paul and Barnabas saw something in this young man. They were impressed by him and they felt like this guy should go with us back to Antioch, which is where Paul and Barnabas were ministering. Like he can be of some great value. He needs to come with us. And so they go on to Antioch. Now, Antioch is a very key city in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts because it is in Antioch where Paul and Barnabas, that's where they launch their missionary journeys out taking the gospel into far off places. So look at Acts chapter 13. Fast forward a couple verses. Look at verse three, or excuse me, verse four. It says, the two of them, this is Paul and Barnabas, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. And what does it say? John was with them as their helper. So obviously, John is a very valuable part of this team that is starting to travel. And what exactly was his role with this team? Well, the Bible says he was a helper. He was a help to them. Um, I'm sure there was a lot more involved than just that. I would guess that there was some assistance in the study of God's word and the, and the preaching of God's word. I'm sure Mark, as they traveled, he had plenty of conversations with people they interacted with. I'm guessing that he was integral in helping organize the logistics of their trip. He probably negotiated travel details, um, accommodations, expenses. And on top of all that, every indication is he's a good brother and he's a good friend and he's a partner in the ministry uh, of traveling of these traveling evangelists. It takes a whole team. It takes a team of people. I think of our own church family here, right here at New Life. I think of all the brothers and sisters here that make up New Life Christian Church and all the ways that God uses every single one of us to make up what this church family is all about. I, I could stand up here for hours today. And I could talk about individuals in our church. I, I could talk to them by name, hundreds of them, of how God is using them and their gifts. And without them, we would be severely missing this in our church family. Just how God takes everybody and, and, and it's this whole team concept. Let me tell you something, if you don't know this, being a Christian today is a team sport. All right. 
Being a part of a dynamic church family is a team sport. It takes a lot of people. And I, I see this with the travels of Paul and Barnabas and other people throughout the book of Acts who came alongside and they worked together. And John Mark is one of those guys. He's a very valuable member of this team. So I wanna show you on a map behind me. If you look at the map behind me, this is the area of the world that we're talking about. So, and I like to show you maps of places because I wanna remind you these are real people going to real places that you can visit today. Down here is the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee, and this is Jerusalem down there. This is the Holy Land. So they leave Jerusalem, they get John Mark in Acts chapter 12, and they travel north all the way to Antioch. That's where Paul and Barnabas, home base from. Then they get sent out on this missionary journey. They leave from Antioch, they go to the sea town called Seleucia, they get on a boat, and they travel to Salamis, which is on the island of Cyprus. And the Bible says that they travel all over that island, preaching the word of God, starting in the Jewish synagogues, and they have an incredible ministry here. This is the area of the world that we're talking about. Now let me just tell you something, on my bucket list before I die. This is probably going to have to be after two kids get through college and I recover financially from that. Um, one of these days, my wife and I are going to go on a cruise in the Mediterranean and we're going to go on a Holy Land cruise and we're going to visit all of these places that uh, we read about in the book of Acts. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be Bible and buffets. It's going to be, it's going to be fantastic. It's going to be, we went and we walked in the footsteps of Paul and Barnabas and we're going to go get back on the boat and we're going to eat. It's going to be awesome. But anyway, this is the part of the world that we're talking about here. This is known as Paul and Barnabas's first missionary journey. And if you have a Bible with you that has maps in the back, I have, I have no doubt that somewhere in the back of that Bible, there's a map that's called Paul's first missionary journey. And if you look at it, you're going to see a map that looks very similar to the one that I'm showing you here. So they travel from Antioch, they go to the island of Cyprus, and they are preaching all over the place. Now, look at Acts chapter 13. We're going to read this together while this map stays on the screen. Start in verse 6. It says, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. So this is over here. So they started on Salamis. They made their way all the way to Paphos. This is what we're talking about. There they meet a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. In other words, this leader, this intelligent man, influential man, he hears about what's going on on his island. And he's like, I want to meet these guys. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, Saul and Paul are the same guy, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So he sees this incredible miracle and he's like, I believe everything that you're seeing, you're, you're, you're talking about. This had to have been a remarkable thing to witness for John Mark. Now think about John Mark's position on this team. He gets to travel around to new places, go places he's never been, meet new people. He gets to see the power of God move in tremendous ways, all while sitting at the feet of none other than the Apostle Paul. 
He gets to travel for months doing this. This is a remarkable thing, and they grow very close together, and he has an important role on this team. That's pretty awesome. Now, this is by no means uh, an equal parallel to what we're reading about in the book of Acts here. But when I read about Paul's missionary journeys, all three of them, the first one, second one, the third one, when he goes to Jerusalem, everything else, when I study that out, I can't help but think about the parallel of Billy Graham's ministry. Billy Graham was probably the greatest evangelist of the 20th century. Other people, many people say outside of the Apostle Paul, Billy Graham has had more influence on Christianity than anybody else ever. Billy Graham traveled over 400 countries in his life, 400 crusades to 185 countries in his life preaching the gospel. And I have a question. Did he do that all by himself? <laughs> Absolutely not. In fact, he was very open about, hey, I've got a team of trusted brothers that travel with me everywhere. In fact, I got a picture of some of these guys later in their life that travel with Paul or with, with uh, Billy Graham all the time. That, that he never went anywhere by himself. He had... He had his partners. He had his John Marks all around him. If you know anything about Billy Graham's ministry, then there's some names that probably will sound familiar to you. Names like Cliff Barrows, George Beverly Shea, um, Grady Wilson. These are some of uh, Billy Graham's closest friends. These are, you could say, are, are his John Marks of his trial. These, these are the guys that held him up. These are the guys that fought the battles. There probably is no great Billy Graham ministry without some of these guys right there by his side. It would not have come together. And I kind of think there's something kind of similar going on with Paul, Barnabas, John Mark, later on, Silas, Luke, Timothy, all these guys. They did this together. You know, later in life, uh, Billy Graham would say this about Cliff Barrows. He says, I love him like a brother. You know, you only get to that point when you have been in the trenches together and you have traveled and you have fought the battles and you've seen the power of God move. You get to the point where you say, I love somebody like a brother. He said this to Bev Shea one time. He says, I've been listening to Bev Shea sing for over 50 years and I'd still rather hear him sing than anyone else. There's a closeness there. That, that, that closeness goes well beyond somebody's singing voice. They're brothers. Uh, Grady Wilson was a pretty significant evangelist all by himself, and he was one of Billy Graham's lifelong most trusted friends. Billy Graham said this of Grady Wilson one day. He said, I just feel so much more comfortable when Grady Wilson's around. And just think about that. Why would anybody ever say that? It's because Billy Graham knew, and he writes about this in his books, if you've ever read him. He doesn't do this by himself. There's all kinds of people. And this is the, I would say, more of a modern day parallel of what we're reading about in Paul's missionary journeys. If, if, if Billy Graham were to lose any of these guys, it would be a significant loss to him personally. It would be lost to the work of what the Lord was doing. And that's how these guys saw each other. Now, if you look at verse 13, it says this, from Pappas, Paul and his companions sailed to Pergia in Pamphylia. So let's go back to our map here for just a second. Let me show you where they went. So after they went all throughout the island of Cyprus, they got on a boat and they sailed all the way up into the region of Pamphylia, specifically the town of Perga. And, and again, I want to show you these are real places. These are, are real things. And I also want you to see that this is in an era long before airline travel, the internet, GPS. This is still a time where you get on a boat, you're like, I hope I see you again. All right? This is, this is where, I mean, getting on a ship was no guarantee that you're going to reach your destination. 
okay? So this takes months of journeying. This is not some, you know, little simple thing. This, these missionary journeys would take a long time. So they're a long way from home, and it takes a long time to travel. And then if you read, continue on reading verse 13, what does it say? It says they, they went up to Perga and Pamphylia, and then we get this little detail. Where John left them and returned to Jerusalem. John left him and returned to Jerusalem. So what is happening is, for whatever reason, no details are given, is that John, this trusted companion, a co-laborer in the gospel, somebody who's integral to their ministry, he just leaves and he returns to Jerusalem, which is where, it's where his home is. It's where his family is at. And at the end of the day, you can search all over the New Testament. You're never gonna find an explanation for why he left. All that we know is this. It was not honorable, okay? We don't know why I left. We just know it wasn't a good situation. It was not honorable. And the reason why we know this, the reason why we know it wasn't honorable is because John Mark will come up in conversation a couple years off into the future. And the discussion about John Mark and his future between Paul and Barnabas creates an incredible amount of tension, okay? So I want you to fast forward one page in the Bible. Go to Acts chapter 15. Now in Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas, they're done with their trip. They've gone all around, they've sailed around, they've traveled around preaching, they planted churches, uh, won people to follow Jesus, everything. And they're back in Antioch now and some time passes by and the Bible just says in Acts chapter 15, sometime later, Paul and Barnabas were talking and they're like, you know what we should do? We should do that all over again. We should travel over to Salamis, get on a boat, go down to Cyprus. We should travel up to Perga, go across all those places. Let's go visit the churches and let's go see how the Christians are doing. And they're like, this sounds like a great idea. And this is the nucleus of what is known as, as Paul's second missionary journey. Okay, so this is the nucleus of it. And so they agree, let's do it. Now let's talk about who's gonna go with us. What team are we gonna build they totally agreed on, on uh, the, the purpose behind their trip, but you know what? They could not agree on the makeup of the team. John Mark's name came up, and it says in Acts 15, verse 37, do you see this? Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. And there it is right there. That's the problem. Mark deserted them. That's how we know that it wasn't honorable because Paul calls it out. Several years earlier, right in the middle of their trip, Paul felt like Mark had been a deserter and left them high and dry. And if I had to guess, and again, there's limited details. I wanna be very clear with you on that. There's li limited details. What you have in front of you is what I have in front of me. But I would imagine that Mark was kind of, or excuse me, Paul was like, dude, that dude's a quitter. You want him to go again? When he left us, don't you remember Barnabas when he left us? Well, I mean, we, we had to pick up all the extra work. You remember how much harder the, got, the trip got after he left us? And I think that, that there's been kind of a spur in Paul's saddle ever since that, that moment that, that, that John Mark left him. And look at verse 39. They had such a sharp disagreement. That's Paul and Barnabas. They had such a sharp disagreement over whether John Mark should go with them or not that they parted company. 
Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria, Sisla, and strengthening the churches. And I want you to know something. You read that correctly. Paul and Barnabas could not get on the same page. And so they split up. They went their separate ways. Now again, there's a lot of conversations I wish we had details from. But what is obvious is that there's a botch in here somewhere. That, that's what's very clear. There, there's some kind of botch in here. You can read between the lines and you can probably, can probably pick on all three of them of like, well, they all botched in some way. But what I want us to do for the next few minutes, I want us to specifically focus on John Mark because there are some significant details about what we learn from this and what we learn later that means something very much to us today, or it should anyway, in our series. So before we finish up with John Mark, let me first say a word about Paul and Barnabas, because these two great men of God, I want you to see something, these great men of God were also humans, okay? These great men of God were also humans. And the reason why I say that, and the reason why I've said that in every sermon at this point, and the reason why I'll say that over the next couple, is because when we read the Bible and we study about these great men and women of faith, we sometimes can slip into this mentality of like they were some kind of super human believer. But I want you to see what the Bible helps us see, that they're humans too. And they don't always make the right decisions, and they don't always do things the right way. And, and this is an example of this. We're watching this. Paul and Barnabas live this out right on the pages of the scripture. And it's, it's simply a reality back to all of us, all of us who have ever worked with anybody in the church for any significant length of time. We know this to be true, that good and godly people in the church can disagree and they do disagree. And there are times when it becomes very difficult for even Christians to get on the same page with others sometimes. Can I hear an amen somewhere? All right, we all know this to be true. And I'm pointing this out because right here, two great men of God are having the same difficulty. And if Paul and Barnabas can experience this, we can too. Absolutely, we can too. Now, I could say a whole lot right now about relationships and conflict resolution. I'm pretty well read on all of these things. But I'm gonna save that for another sermon. Everybody said amen. And we're gonna save that for another sermon. Amen. amen. All right. But what we do know is Paul and Barnabas sharply disagreed and they split up. So Paul and Barnabas, let me, let me show you the map here again because here's what happens. So they're in Antioch and they have this fight over whether John Mark should go with them. So the orange line is Barnabas and John Mark. They said, fine, we're gonna go. So you can see, the, what did they do? They went the same trip they did the first time because that was their whole goal, right? We agree what we're supposed to do. So they travel to Cyprus to go visit all the churches. Now Paul is the green line and he, he hooks up with a guy named Silas. Silas will become a trusted companion moving forward and they're gonna travel north. So it's really one of these things. You go this way and I'll go that way. And and, and they, they, they go this way. So the first missionary journey did one of these, and so it's gonna do the same thing. Paul and Silas are gonna go this way. They hit all the churches that they wanted to, strengthening the brothers, and you know what? Here you have two teams now doing the work of the Lord, and it seems like, by all indications, God blessed both of them. 
You, you could say, and this is an easy argument to make, that the blessing of their disagreement is that now there's two missionary teams, twice as many people, going out and spreading the gospel. It's also another reminder to us that of something very significant. This is huge. This is really the reason why I bring all this up. This right here, what's happening in the text, is a reminder to us today that if God had to depend on perfect people to accomplish his work, nothing would ever get done. Okay? If God had to depend on perfect people to accomplish his work, there would be no work getting done because even Paul and Barnabas, as great as they were, weren't perfect. Our imperfections, our botches, our limitations, really, all of that should serve for us today as a reminder of just how much we need to depend on the grace of God. And that without the grace of God in our lives, there's really nothing that's gonna happen. I think this is something even Paul would come to really own a little bit later in his life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse five, he writes this. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. You say, our comp- like, anything we know, anything we do, anything that seems like we did anything good, can we just own it that it really comes from God? I mean, that, it's God's doing. So good came from a disagreement. Even though the disagreement wasn't good, good came from it. And really, it's because God was the source of the good that came from it. And that's praise God. And praise God in all the times that happens in our own lives. That God's work continues despite us sometimes. Praise the Lord for that. Now let's go back with John Mark and let's just finish up with a few minutes we have left. I want to talk about John Mark. What was his botch? John Mark's botch is that he quit on his team. Plain and simple. That's what happened. Paul's words were, he deserted us. Now, that's a, now you just think about why anybody would say that about anybody. If somebody were to say, he or she deserted me, boy, I tell you, that's a loaded statement. There, so we don't have the details of what led to it, but let's all acknowledge something happened. He deserted us. That's how Paul saw it. And uh, it's quite a charge. I, I would uh, uh, imagine that there were other things that were said, but Paul summed it up. He deserted us. So his botch is that he quit on his team, but it's worse than that. He quit in the middle of God's mission. That's what he did. In fact, that's what Paul called him out for in in chapter 15, verse 38. Do you remember what it said? It said, he did not continue with us in the work. So he quit on the team and he also quit on God's mission. And, And because of that, Paul saw Mark as a quitter. And since Paul saw Mark as a quitter, he and Barnabas just couldn't get on the same page about ever having John Mark join them again. Now, I, I, think, I think there's two points of view here, and they really do match up with some of the personalities that we read between Barnabas and Paul. If you know the fuller story of Barnabas, you know, Barnabas is known in the Bible as a peacemaker. I don't know if you knew that or not. I, would, I think this, and again, I'm gonna be very clear, I think this, the Bible doesn't say this, I think this because of what I know about these men. I think Barnabas had this attitude. John Mark's a young kid. He's a good kid. We need to give him a second chance. And let's bring him along. Let's give him a chance to prove himself. I know he feels guilty for abandoning us before, but you know what? Let's, let's get him back in the game. I, I wonder if that's Barnabas. Barnabas, you might remember, he was the one who, when he met Paul, Paul was not yet in with the church. You know, Paul had, we're going to talk about Paul before we're done but, uh, with this series, but 
Paul was was pretty rotten guy before he became a Christian. And for the church to trust him took some time. And it was Barnabas who said, hey guys, this is my buddy Paul. He's a changed man. You can trust him. You trust me, right? You can trust, you can trust Paul. It was Barnabas that kind of brought Paul into the inner circle of Christians. And here you have Barnabas, I think, is saying, let's give old John Mark a second chance. Yeah, he screwed up, but let's try. That's one point of view. Then you have, then you have Paul, and Paul has, it's very obvious, has dug his heels in the ground, and he's like, I ain't taking no quitter on this round the world trip. Uh-uh, not gonna happen. He did it once, he did it twice, and I'm not taking him. Now, let me ask you a question. You do not have to raise your hand. How many of you in this room identify more with Barnabas? Oh, come on, let's give this a second chance. And how many of you more identify with Paul? Ain't taking no quitter with me. Now, where are you guys at? Don't, don't raise your hand. But, but I would imagine about this room is probably split on, on, on which way you lean. It's like, I'm like Paul. He quit on me once. And if you've ever been quit on, that is not a good feeling. You can understand Paul. You can also understand Barnabas. You know, I, let's give this kid a second chance. I, whatever, the, they couldn't get on the same page he was a quitter in Paul's mind. And can I ask you a question? And this is a very serious question that I want to lay. All of this is built up to this question. I want to lay it at your feet for a second. Have you ever just up and quit on something that you were doing for God? Has that ever been a part of your journey? Have you ever just up and quit? Have you ever turned your back on God when you know he called you to something? Have you ever just turned your back on it? Have you ever promised God that you're gonna do something and then for whatever reason you just didn't do it? Is there any unfinished business that you need to complete for the Lord? This is extreme, but if God were building a roster today of a great mission that he was gonna have the church on and he came to your name on the roster, would he pause and go, ah, I don't know. He quit on me. You know, if you answered yes to any of those questions, I have another question for you. And that question is this. Is that one-time botch, is that keeping you from serving the Lord today? I would say it like this, maybe more memorable. Has your quit one time kept you down for all time? Has your quit one time kept you down for all time? Well, I tell you, this, this thing called quitting or giving up or backing out or on, on anything in life, that can really mess with you. That can really weigh heavily on you, whether you have quit or you've been quit on. That, that's, that's really quite a thing. You know, I, as I've tried to think back, I can think of one thing in my life, there might be other littler things, but I can think of one thing in my life that I absolutely quit on, and even to this day, I regret that I ever quit on it. And it seems silly when I talk about it, but you know, and it goes back to my childhood, all the way back to sixth grade. But man, I'm telling you, there's some things that happen when you're young that really shape things moving forward. There's one thing I quit on in my life, and I'll tell you about it. When I was in the sixth grade, I was in PE class. And our PE coach, our PE teacher was also the track and field coach. And we did a unit in PE class on track and field, all right? So on this particular day, we were learning how to shot put. You know what shot put is? That big heavy ball and you throw it as far as you can, okay? And evidently, I was throwing the shot put farther than anybody on the track team. 
And so the coach says, Joe, I want you to come join the track team and I want you to throw shot put for me. And I'm like, sounds good. So Monday morning rolls in. I walk into track practice after school, ready to throw a big heavy ball as far as I can throw it. And we run for two hours. <laughs> Tuesday, I show up after school, ready to throw this ball as far as I will go. And we run for two hours. Wednesday, the same thing. Thursday, the same thing. Friday, I thought maybe it's casual Friday. We'll actually throw the ball around. I don't know. I show up to practice. I throw the ball one time and then we run for an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> and at the end of practice, I walked up to the coach and I'm sure it was nearly, not nearly as polished um, as I'm about to share it, but I said something to the effect of, coach, I no longer feel it's in my best interest to <laughs> throw the shot put for you. No, I don't think I said it quite like, I think I just said, hey coach, I'm not gonna do this anymore. I'm quitting. And, and I rem I'll never forget his, his look on his face. He's like, why? You're so good at it. And I, and I told him this. And I, it's kind of a rare moment of boldness as a kid. And I said, well, I thought I was going to throw this ball around. And all we do is run. And he said to me, he said, well, Joe, you do know that you're on the track team. We run. And I'm like, I don't run. <laughs> and... And I just said, I'm, I'm quitting. This is my last day. And I remember him being so disappointed in that. And, and by golly, to this day, I wish I hadn't quit the track team. And I hate track. <laughs> I mean, I don't hate it. It's just not the NFL. You know what I mean? I, I don't even like it. I, I don't even think I enjoy throwing that big metal ball around. It's just me personally. But I really regret quitting on the track team. Quitting on the coach who believed in me. Quitting all of that stuff. And you know, quitting messes with you. I don't care what it is. And as I thought about that, and as I got older, and it was, it was kind of a defining moment in my life because there was a point not long after that, I said, I I'm never quit anything. I'm never going to quit anything again. And you know, sometimes very negative experiences can spur you on with a whole new attitude to something else. Now, that's just silly sixth grade track and field. But I wonder about our Christian walk, about quitting. I can tell you that when I quit the track team, I didn't want that one quit to define who I am. And I found myself trying to prove I ain't a quitter. And I think about the ministry. Has your one quit on the Lord absolutely defined your entire Christian life? And if it has... It doesn't need to. Has your one quit kept you down for all time? You know, uh, the Bible doesn't say this, but I wonder if John Mark kind of had this attitude. I, I, I got to prove myself again. I'm going to show him. If Paul will just give me a chance, I'm going to get on the road with him, and I'm going to show him that I ain't no quitter, and that what I did before wasn't good, but I'm going to prove myself to him. I, I don't know if he was feeling that way, but I think that's how I would be feeling. Because that's how I was feeling when I quit the track and field team. It's like, give me another chance. I'm never going to quit another sport again. I want people to believe in me. I want that coach to believe in me again. And, and, and I think this could be John Mark's story as well. But I want you to see something that's really, really remarkable. In fact, this is the whole reason why I bring up his life story. Obviously, John Mark did not go with Paul on that trip. And he and Barnabas split up. 
and we lose sight of the story. What happened? And I wish I could tell you that I could fill in all the details for you that this is how John Mark's life persisted and this is all, we don't have it. But what we do have is something quite remarkable. I mean, this is, this is so awesome. I, I don't even, I, I'll just tell you, it's awesome. Later in Paul's life, much later, he starts writing to all the churches that, you know, they planted, they went all over and he writes a bunch of letters to these churches and a good number of these letters became what we know today as the New Testament, okay? So the letters of Paul. Um, in the New Testament letter of Colossians, chapter four, at the very end of the letter, he's making some personal remarks about people. And he says this in 4.10, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Now, this is huge. Because for whatever happened between that first missionary journey and towards the end of Paul's life, Mark is traveling again with Paul. Did you see it? He's there. And he's like, hey, by the way, Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark. And then he says, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Now, now this is a totally different way of talking about the same person. At one time, Paul had some really negative feelings about Mark, that he wasn't cut out for ministry, that he's a quitter, maybe he's a coward. But now, years later, and we have no details of what happened in between, but years later, guess who shows up as a traveling companion of Paul? It is Mark. He's gonna do the same thing in the New Testament letter of Philemon. At the end of that letter, chapter one, verse 23, Paul says, Aparis, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow worker. So here, Paul is calling him a fellow worker. This is not how Paul used to talk about him, but he's talking about him now, my fellow worker. And then there's this another time that he writes a letter to a, a brother named Timothy, and we know this as 2 Timothy in the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter four, same kind of thing. At the very end of the letter, he's giving out some personal remarks because these are all friends of his and acquaintances, and he says, do your best to come to me quickly. He's talking about Timothy. Do your best to get here. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. Oh, man, so, so he's writing like, hey, this guy bailed on me. Now, you start to see something, don't you? What is one of Paul's core values in life? Loyalty. And just think about it. So as you learn more about these guys and you study their writings, you pick up things. Paul is a guy that values loyalty. Why did he struggle with John Mark? Because he deserted them. Why is he naming Demas? Demas left me. This is a big deal to Paul. So he says, uh, Demas left me and he went on to Thessalonica because he loved the world. In other words, he abandoned the, the mission. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Demacia. Only Luke is with me. Then he says to Timothy, hey, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. That's awesome. I think we all have to admit that somewhere in between Acts 15 and now, at the end of Paul's life, Paul forgave John Mark. And John Mark became a trusted companion again. In fact, you have John Mark, you have Timothy, you have Titus. These were all young men who were closely connected to Paul, who were close personal workers of this great apostle. And, and here's the deal with John Mark. 
and why he serves as a great reminder to us today that failure does not need to be fatal. By the grace of God, John Mark overcame his first failure of quitting on his team and quitting on God's mission, and he became a valuable servant of God. Did you know this about John Mark? That to this day, he is the one who is most recognized as the author of the second book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Mark. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, And it's this Mark, John Mark, who is credited for writing about the life of Jesus Christ. A one-time quitter who went on to become a deeply trusted co-laborer of God's work. And let me just tell you, his life should serve as an encouragement to every single one of us who has ever failed in their first attempts to serve God. He didn't stay down. He didn't stay down in the dumps. We don't read anything like that. But he got back into the game. And he served the Lord. And he proved himself as a valuable co-worker in the labor to the apostle Paul. Is failure fatal? That's the question. It sure doesn't have to be. And some of us need to have ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is telling us in the Word. Dear Lord, I would just give you thanks for today. Thank you for your holy Word, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that we have this opportunity to to look at real people, real lives, people who are trying to serve you, didn't always make the right call, didn't always make the best decisions. But Lord, they got it figured out. And Lord, I pray for anybody in this room today who has ever quit on you. Who has ever turned their back on your call. Who has ever set out strong but didn't continue. That once, Lord, was fired up for you. But it seems like their faith is ice cold today. I thank you, Lord, that first of all, you don't ever give up on us. And nobody is ever so far away that they, they can't be relit and refired up again. And Lord, John Mark's story teaches us a valuable lesson about failure, that it does not have to be fatal. And that, Lord, there is not a botch that any of us have ever done that could ever drive us so far away from you that in a moment's notice you couldn't forgive. And Lord, in a moment's notice you couldn't redeem and revive And so, Lord, we thank you that this reaffirms us in us today. Lord, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. That right there, Lord, teaches us that none of us are too far away from you, and there's there's none of us that are outside of your love, that you came to this world for all of us. I thank you, Lord, that we can find new life in you through faith in Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that our sins can be forgiven. I thank you, Lord, that we have the hope of heaven out in front of us. And Lord, may that be in our vision always as we serve you, Lord. Lord, if anybody in this room today is down, I pray you help pick them up. If they seem like they don't have value in your eyes, Lord, I pray you show them how valuable they really are. That Lord, if anybody is struggling here today, I pray, God, that you help them move forward from that struggle. 
Lord, if there's any quitters in this room, I pray, Lord, they get back on the line and run the race again. Lord, we can all do this because you're merciful. It's by your grace. Lord, you are the reason we can do anything good. And for that, we'll forever be thankful. In Jesus' name, amen.